my God, we actually made it to Friday. Welcome to our special Friday podcast, which, of course, features the inimitable Tim Miller. Now, you're you're on the East Coast. You're an East Coast elitist this week. Is that correct? You're usually a West Coast I, elitist. I am. I've gone from the Brooklyn of California to the Brooklyn of Brooklyn. Okay. So, so I'm, just I, do, I'm just doing a bi-coastal hipster tour of America at the moment. I am still in flyover country, where, of course, we... We understand that the real America is rooting for the Cincinnati Bengals to win the Super Bowl. Amen. I'm part okay, of, I'm part we're, of we're that. Not, we, got Joe, we got Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, my LSU Tigers, uh, the uh, the core of the offense, their team of destiny. Like we could do the whole podcast. I've 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 become like almost. I wore a Bengals shirt on TV. I'm not a Bengals fan. It's just I'm the Joe Burrow man, and and I felt bad because all these people from Cincinnati started tweeting at me about, ah, oh, who day you're a Bengals fan now, and so now I feel kind of like a poser because I, I, well, I didn't sure. really realize Everybody's that I was poser. sending the. Yeah, I feel yeah. a little bit like a poser, but I, I'm going to be a poser, Bengals fan, hardcore on Sunday. I turned down an MSNBC hit Sunday afternoon. They tried to schedule me across from the Super Bowl. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm a sports <laughs> guy. You got you got to find somebody else. Excuse me. No, because also no one's <laughs> going to be watching. But that's uh, so you made you made the ultimate sacrifice. Look, everybody's a poser on Super Bowl Sunday. It's when all of these tens of millions of people who have never watched a football game all season tune in. It's it's sort of like. It, it it it's the football equivalent of Easter for the Catholic Church, where you have all these people yeah. that show up for Christmas church. and Easter Catholics. Exactly, it's the same sort of thing. Well, I'm enjoying it, and I also noticed that you have been avoiding watching the Olympics, which I have. I have too. And I, at first, I wasn't doing it out of any principle, but then I, you know, I almost turned it on. I thought, you know what, I just, I can't do the Chinese Olympics. But you yes, took a much is- more. I think you and I are going to be taking militant positions on a number of issues there. But you took you took a very militant position on the Chinese Olympics. You, you're like, I like this because, you know, we have this reputation for being, you know, the home of the moderate squishes and the centrists. So I like when, uh, when I when we have the opportunity to be militant because there are certain there are certain matters on which I'm militant, despite the fact that I'm a squish. Uh, I will say this. I have to confess to you and to the audience. I have taken a militant position on the Snapchat show about the call for a, yeah. uh, a ban of Beijing. We can talk about that uh, in a minute. But I, I, I've been unsuccessful at holding that militant position in my own home because my husband is an Olympics, oh. a, is a big Olympics stan, loves the Olympics, um, you know, loves the figure skating. That's not stereotype, but, you know, loves the figure skating, uh, loves the whole deal, and loves the pageantry. And I've been unable to convince him to join me in my boycott. So I, um, in some ways, I think that was good because it served the Snapchat show because I was able to like see just how like offensive actually uh, you know the coverage of the Olympics has been and how how much we're kind of helping its points intentionally and points unintentionally you know this the Chinese cover up of of all of their myriad crimes and uh, you know I don't know have you seen the the woman. The skier who switched teams on us? I mean, she, oh, went, yeah. she went with Red China. And she grew up in San Francisco. She speaks English. And, and you know, they're covering she, this during the Olympics. Like, it's like a soft, like, it's a sweet, you know, soft profile about how she wants to, you know, be a representative for the future young girls in China. I'm like, the future young girls in China are getting forced, for, they're, they're being forced to, to abort Okay, there, there. She's not a positive influence for the future young girls in China. They have a, they have a killing of girls policy in China and a forced sterilization and abortion policy, and like this, 
young woman uh, who I don't really blame her. I blame like all the people that are enabling this and, she's, and promoting she pretty, this. She, she's good though too. Right? Yeah, she's great. Yeah, yeah. No, but she comes I down actually, the mountain and like and she starts talking in English. I'm like well, I'm she, sorry, no. I'm like you've switched teams. Okay, if you're gonna compete right. for China, you got to talk in. You have to speak Mandarin. Okay, can we just be plain here um, yeah. about this? So they they did a big, 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 big puffy uh, feature about her in Time Magazine, um, and. You know, they have lots of pictures of posters of her and I'm paging through going, I'm getting this wrong because they keep saying she's Chinese. She's clearly not Chinese, but but apparently she is Chinese. Uh, So she's it's not true that she's defected, but it's it's weird. Okay, so you take the position that you don't blame the athletes for showing up, but you think the government should have forced them to boycott, banned them. I do. Really? I think we should. I think we should have a boycott. I, uh, to me, the the I mean, how does the this, genocide. How does this work? Yeah. Well, we did it in 1980 with Russia. We did it. With the, the, we didn't go to the uh, Soviet Olympics um, in in 1980, and I, we did go to the Nazi Olympics in 1936. I think, in retrospect, the, the 1980 decision seems better uh, through the through the lens of history and Jesse Owens. Yeah, well, I mean, oh. sure, Jesse, but like, but still, but you, the, all the propaganda I mean, that the, the Nazis were able Tim, to put forth yeah. and norm, the normalization of it. I don't, you know, look, the genocide is 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 enough to boycott, but the cover up of the pandemic, uh, you know, here's where my old neocon's going to come up. At some point, we have to hold the multilateral global organizations like the WHO and IOC to account for their enabling of these vicious despots. I mean, the IOC, they disappeared a fucking tennis player and then they came up with a preposterous cover story after this woman, she blew the whistle, Peng Shui, she blew the whistle about a Me Too situation in, in China. They disappeared her for weeks. She comes back with a preposterous cover story in like a very, you know, state-run, you know, yeah. TV interview. Yeah. And then she like shows up at the Olympics sitting next to the head of the IOC. And, like, and they're just kind of like giggling in the stands. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, that like, was well, like what are they doing? I that, like, that, that was one of the words. Okay, but here's 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 my question. Um, that you wanted the Biden administration to tell the athletes you cannot go and participate right. in the Olympics. Do you have the same position about all of the other people who are doing business in China? Why just pick on the young athletes? Do, are you, are you suggesting that that we not allow other companies? which have offices and factories that are it's doing a, business in China. It's a fair point, but it's a, it's a fair challenge, but it's a different thing. Like the Olympics, like you, you are representing America. And I, the Olympics are a, it's an athletic endeavor, but it is a quasi government endeavor, really. Right. I mean, it is a, you are rep- it is the, it is the United States that is being represented, right? Like it, when Nike, yeah. you know, I'm not saying it's great that Nike has factories in China, right. But like Nike is not, you know, a representative of the United States in the same way that the, yeah. the Olympic are you, team is. Are it's you just, wearing Nikes right deal. now? You're wearing Nikes. I'm not wearing. Right now, I'm not wearing Nikes. And look, we're all we're all hypocrites on this, right? So so you can go down the moral relativism scale, right? Which is like, well, if you have an iPhone, then you can't have a position on this because everyone's a hypocrite on China. Like we're, we are completely interwoven economically, and we're not going to unwind that like by snapping our fingers. But you have to start to to put pressure on them and put diplomatic pressure on them to change and and the opposite is true they're being completely enabled they're they're being allowed to you know show off um you know the strength of the chinese communist party right now on on a global scale and all of the supposed pro democracy international organizations that are you know supposedly defending human rights they're all complicit they're all in bed with them it's it's gross so it does strike me that there there could be a moment of national unity and solidarity just behind the 
fuck China movement. You would think so. You think okay, so they were getting a little jingoistic. People are worried. I, I think this is worth talking about though, because like I, I do think on, uh, particularly on the left, there there is a hesitance to want to do this, right? Because you say that if you're speaking out this aggressively against China, that there's like a racist element to it, or that it's like too jingoistic to attack, you know, the the athlete for switching, you know, and defecting essentially to the Chinese national team. But it's like. Look, that is not right. I mean, like there, there's a lot of great elements about the Chinese culture, right? But the the problem is is the actions of the government, and the government can, and the Chinese government uses this as a ploy. Yeah, like, no, no. When you I, look at their propaganda, like the GW incident on campus, like they tried to hide behind any criticism of us is is racism, and it goes against you know the racial awakening that's that happening in America, ridiculous. and that's bullshit. That's all. That's bullshit. Criticizing the Chinese government has nothing to do with racism against the against the Chinese culture or, chi- or the Chinese people. Like they need to be criticized. Their actions are far beyond the pale, right? I mean, not every government we're going to be able to agree with, right? Like, well, should we boycott the Turkey Olympics? I don't know. Like, what's going on in Turkey isn't great either. But like, the, what's happening no. in China is far past the line. So you you make a reference to what happened to George Washington University for people who didn't yes. you know catch that. You, you had one of the dissident Chinese artists had made these posters sort of mocking the Olympics, you know, showing the government oppressing people, shooting people, the surveillance cameras, you know, the COVID, et cetera. And some students put this up around the George Washington University campus. And then, you know, some of the student groups objected to all of this. And the president instantly caved in and said he was deeply offended and he was going to absolutely remove these posters. And then he was going to search out and find the people responsible until people said, wait, 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 you know, you're basically turning yourself into an arm of Chinese propaganda, not to mention this is an issue of free speech. He caved in in the end, but it was interesting how all of his instincts were to cave in and suppress the dissident Chinese artwork, which... So you, this you is, are not, I, he, I would just say, just not, this is my uh, alma mater. So just really quick, um, what oh, is? I yeah, to the president's, oh. uh, yeah, to the to the president's credit, no. I, uh, he when he no when he reversed, he reversed in a very full, and uh, and he did what you should do, right? Like so, this is I I, I do think yeah. that in our as a cultural matter, this is one of my sticking points. We we should give credit where credit is deserved when people say I fucked up and I'm switching, right? Like there's just not enough of that right now, and so he did yeah. send a letter that said I'm fucked up. We're, we can these posters okay. can stay. People have free speech. Okay. The, so the lesson learned is twofold. One, to your point, that, that his first instinct was to tear it down kind of for fear of, of backlash is a bad sign about the campus culture. And, and two, that, that it, there was an, an intentional effort among the pro-China you know, advocates to wrap this in to kind of the Black Lives Matter racism woke issue, right? Like that, that any criticism of them should not be allowed because it's racist and and you yeah. know as part of a culture, right? And and I and and that is an explicit strategy of the of the Chinese government to avoid criticism and 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 their and their advocates and and so you know we can't just like let that go by the wayside because you're fear of getting because you're afraid of getting criticized because that that's playing into their hands. It's exactly what they're trying what they are trying to leverage. Okay, so you are not squishy on China. I am not squishy on this trucker, these trucker (laughs) demonstrations, okay? I want to, I, as I suggested beforehand, I'm gearing up to go to the nuke them from a great height uh, position here. This, of course, we're talking about the Canadian truckers, and then there will be American truckers. This thing is going to spread. By the time people hear this, they're going to be all over the place. They are blocking traffic. They're snarling traffic. They're making complete um, jerks of themselves. It's all over um, vaccine requirements. Not about shutdowns, it's about vaccine requirements. Just, just leave this aside, though. 
of all of the forms of protest that are the most obnoxious, I think this idea of snarling traffic, of uh, you know making it impossible for people to move around, go, go on with their lives, what they're doing now, they're blocking this bridge between the United States and Canada, which is causing massive layoffs at the auto plants because you can't move parts. People are losing their jobs, uh, losing their livelihoods. I remember back in the day when some folks on the left were thinking of a protest. I think it had to do here in Wisconsin about Act 10. And one of the ideas was they were going to bring in trucks and they were going to drive up and down the state freeways, you know, at 10 miles an hour, you know, in phalanxes. And I remember thinking at the time, this would be one of the dumbest, most self-defeating moves because it would just annoy people. It would just, it would be so anti-social. But here you have uh, these truckers who are doing this and nobody can figure out what to do. Obviously, they're going to have to clear the bridge. And there's lots of talk about, well, use our federal powers to clear the bridge. I don't know what that means, whether they're going to send in, um, you know, the police, whether they're going to send in the military. But, you know, first one thought, I have to tell you, Tim, that if I was doing a movie script about how the Civil War begins, it might begin with something like this, because you could see... <laughs> How this can escalate to violence very quickly, because how do you move something like this? At some point, you cannot allow these folks to simply shut down a city or international trade routes. And yet, how do you move them without you know, running the risk of, of some kind of force or violence? So I think that's number one. So here's, you want to hear my, my proposal other than nuking them from space? I'm excited to hear your proposal. Okay. See, the Biden administration needs some bold stroke of some kind. They, they, you know, part of the reason I, I think that they're in so much trouble is they just kind of feel a little bit feckless. They're always behind everything. And, they're, you know, they're, we'll, we'll get to the mask mandate thing in a moment. Our liberal listeners are going to love this one. <laughs> Remember the Ronald Reagan model with the air traffic controllers where he basically yeah. said, okay, you're striking and I'm not going to tolerate it and you're fired. You're all fired. But it's like, wow, that's amazing. That's terrible. And yet it was one of the key moments where he said, look, I'm in charge and, and you can't, you know, fuck around and see what happens. I think at some point, what you do with the truckers is you go, okay, um, all of you truckers, you have special licenses, don't you? You don't get to be a trucker just because you want to be a trucker. You have all kinds of regulations and papers and everything. And for the United States and Canada to say, here's the deal. You stay on those bridges. You continue to behave this way. And your licenses and your permits and your papers, they are revoked. Fire let's, let's, their, let's, let's talk this out because I'm, I'm going to— their asses. I'm going to—my instinct, which could be wrong. So I'm just—I'm coming in blind. You didn't tell me what your plan was going to be, so I'm coming in blind on this. And my instinct is to be on the other side, is, to, uh, is for me to be Neville Chamberlain here. Part of me wants to be like, fine, don't get vaccinated. Good fucking luck. I, I don't know. I'm just, like, I'm so sick of this, like, at this point. Like, does it really, I mean, shouldn't they just cave to the, like, if these truckers, like, really don't want to get vaccinated and, like, they look at the thousands of unvaccinated people that are dying a day and they have decided that, like, the Church of Joe Rogan's YouTube page is, is like, more important to them than just, like, getting the same vaccinate, you know, vaccination like they had for measles, mumps, and everything else their whole life. Then, like, who cares? I, I don't know. This is wait, maybe so, a libertarian Neville Chamberlain. Wait, 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 wait. So, your role model in this 
Yeah. Is Neville Chamberlain. Well, I'm admitting that. Do you, I'm just, do you, I'm, rem- I'm do you rem- my robot. I'm admitting that I'm going with the appeasement strategy. Do you, do you remember how that worked out? It didn't turn out well. I know. I'm, okay. I'm aware. Of that, but that's what I'm saying. This is what my instinct is on this one. It's I have just... a book I could send you about how this <laughs> ends. How this ends. There have been a couple written about it, I think. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but this is one of those. And I, I, I'm actually in kind of a, like, everybody needs to dial down their rhetoric stuff yeah. a little bit. You know, and like everything is not Hitler. But Neville Chamberlain. Tim is literally Hitler. is about Hitler. <laughs> okay, right. Well, I know. I know. I'm just saying. I was just. I was admitting that that's an appeasement strategy. I don't think the truckers are Hitler. Uh, the truckers are assholes. I do. I have one other thought about this though. That so who's, is, we, we can, who's Czechoslovakia? <laughs> who's the Trudeau? Trudeau is Trudeau. Trudeau is Czechoslovakia. Like, okay, all right. Quebec, the Quebecois yeah. are, are Czechoslovakia yeah, in, this, yeah. in this analogy. Um, I, I do have one observation, though. Uh, well, we kind of chew over whether revoking their licenses or just like letting them be unvaccinated is the right approach. Um, I, it, it's interesting that like who gets to be you know real Americans in the conservative culture wars, and who and who are you know just horrible you know traitor l- lazy hippies, right? In California, when the climate folks when they get out and block streets. You know, because they would like action on climate change. There is just widespread mockery, you know, on the right about, oh, you know, these phone, these like liberal, like, you know, patsies and like, oh, it's, it's horrible. And they're blocking hardworking Americans who are trying to get to their job every day. And like, uh, you know, these people's culture is horrible. But when it's truckers that are blocking the road, then the, the roles switch. Now it's the hardworking real Americans who are standing <laughs> up for their rights who are blocking the roads. And it's all of us who are being, you know, whose lives are being disrupted by them who are the problem. Isn't that interesting? It is interesting. Okay, so this is the week that the mask wars came to an end. It's over. It's a complete route. Everybody has caved in. I mean, I, am I wrong about this? It's just a, be a little bit of mopping up. It's sort of like after Appomattox, you know. Yeah, here's what, well, I don't, no, you're not wrong, but here's why I wish you would be wrong is because, yeah. and, and this goes to my article this week about about the left and, and which their mistakes excellent. on the Max stuff, which we'll talk about in a minute. And the inspired part, me to write something today. Okay, thank you. Well, part of the Mask article was the notion that that people, responsible people who who are, were, have just spent the last two years trying to do the right thing should not see themselves as in an existential battle <laughs> with the people who have been irresponsible and that any sacrifice of all of the precautions they take is a victory in, in this like imaginary war for the bad people. I, I just think that's a really bad frame, right? Like people wore masks and wear masks still when it makes sense for them to wear masks, you know, and that's how we should have always looked at this, right? And this well, idea that masks, you. right, this idea that masks are like, like an unadulterated good that, that some on the left want to pass or that uh, some on the right, you know, and, uh, the slave mask, an unadulterated evil. It's not either of those things. It, it was a device for trying to not spread a deadly disease. And so that's why it's frustrating when it's like, oh, you have to wear a mask into the restaurant, but then you can take it off when you eat and yell. I'm like, this is stupid. This is performative. Like, should people wear a mask when they're all in a bus together? Like, that, the, you know, when it's winter and the windows are closed on the bus? Yeah, like, probably. Yeah, we should all wear masks still when we're all in a tight, you know, space on the bus. Uh, you know, should vaccinated five-year-olds, like, be still wearing masks all day, every day? Uh, when their chance of dying from COVID is, is is literally less than their chance of getting eaten by a shark, 
I, like, no, probably not anymore. And, and changing the rule on that should not be seen as like, you know, the loss of the Battle of Appomattox in the mask wars. Well, also, I think your point, though, was your new golden rule that it's very simple. Um, don't make others do shit you don't do. Uh, yeah. this, you know, all of these politicians, you know, with, with the pictures in front of the people who are forced to do the mask. You know, I, I think this is one of the things that's really undermined um, the, the culture of the mask, why, why people are just like have given up on it because of all of these mixed messages. And I'll tell you something in retrospect, since we were talking about um, protests before, yeah. in retrospect, I think it was a disaster for many public health experts when they took the position that you know you absolutely had to have, and this was back in 2020 when it was yeah. really serious and you really needed masks. But when they stood down and said, "Yeah, but we're going to look the other way for the Black Lives Matter protests," yeah. and a lot of people would say, "Well, okay, well, you know, this is a good cause and everything," but the double standard I think hung out there for a long time. And I look back at that and I go, "Okay." You squandered a lot of credibility and a lot of goodwill when you basically said, you, you know, kids can't do anything. You can't go to a baseball game. You can't live your life. You can't go to a picnic. You can't do this. But these these these, these protests, this is OK. The double standard, I think, you know, it was sort of set there and I think it did long term damage. So yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with that. And I think the other thing which I wrote about in my article is that, that the masking for the politicians perspective, like politicians needed to to think about this as I am asking my constituents to to sacrifice something like to to sacrifice their comfort, sacrifice hassle, you know, in order to for the public interest, right? In the order, you know, for for the public good. And when you're asking somebody to do that, like you need to be the most vigilant, right? That's why I don't ask people to do other th things that you're you're not going to do. And so, like when we saw, you know, Newsom, you know, at the fancy restaurant without the mask early in 2020, and you know, while other people are locked down, right? It's the same way. Like the rules are different for politicians, and they should be. You know, like Charlie, if you got pulled over tomorrow for driving 90 down the highway, uh, you know, I, I, it wouldn't be a big news story, right? Like, you'd have to pay the ticket as a, as a citizen. If, if the mayor gets pulled, is driving 90, swerving in and out of lanes, like, that's a news story because like, the, <laughs> as a politician, it needs to follow the rules that they're enforcing right, in, in, in their city. If they think they're too good for the rules, then maybe the rules should change for everybody. And, and, and somewhere in this whole process, like, that, that ethos got lost. And the masks were kind of seen as this we don't have to think about any of those considerations because it's just good. It's the right thing to do. And, and anybody who complains about it is one of those bad people, you know, is one of the, the horrible, you know, far right people that are screaming at people at, at the supermarket. And it's like, that's not true, right? There are some of those people, but there are also other people that are trying to make reasonable choices. And last thing about this, just, you know, when people are like, oh, Tim, you're obsessing over this. And this is, is this really that big of a deal? I, I was at the airport here flying out to New York. And in front of me in line at the airport is... A you know older woman uh, who had a huge knee brace and and like walking was a tr trouble and her her friend you know had a, had a wheelchair for her and she kind of limps through the the security uh, you know the magnometer in front of me and, and she gets the the randomized test and she's pulled aside. And she can't really walk, and she, you know, she can't stand, but her, her she can't get her wheelchair because you know it got pulled around to the other side, and she has to stand there for eight minutes while they wait for somebody to come and pat her down. And it's just like, it's you know, it's been twenty years since nine eleven, 
right? Like, I, I, like these things do right. have long-term ramifications, right? Like if the government decides that performative theater and CYA is needed, then, then, you know, what is the, where is the end game of all this, right? Like, I, like there, I don't think any logical person is, was worried that this lady was going to have a shoe bomb, you know? And so like, shouldn't we have reassessed, you know, these things, but we let it get out of hand. And, yeah. and I think that there's a reasonable worry that that is true for, for COVID. And, and people should like consider like we can be logical and still be safe and still, you know, have reasonable restrictions and rules when it's needed while also, you know, changing the rules when they're not needed and not feeling like that's some loss to well, the fucking crazy guy yelling at Walmart. Like, like we're not in a fight with him. But let me also tell you the, the point that I thought was was important, that there, there's almost this reflex that that if the deplorables want something that uh, we absolutely, you know, cannot agree with them, as you right. point out, that basically you're saying that there's some people are blinded to reality. You know, it's created a bubble where giving an inch on these rules is some kind of a defeat in an imaginary battle of righteousness. This is something that, that, that re uh, Tushera also calls the Fox News fallacy, and he warns Democrats against it, that just because um, Fox News cares about something does not mean you are morally obligated to not care about it. You are not morally obligated to do the exact opposite. And this is what inspired me today. I wrote a piece about critical race theory and in the next fight, and the next, and I want to spend a lot of time on this today, but you know, the next big fight, um, and you know, Christopher Rufo, who is this very bad faith uh, charlatan manipulator, uh, you know, has announced what it's going to be. They're going to be pushing for, uh, they're going to be pushing for transparency. Okay, so we're not banning anything. We're going to have transparency. The strategies to use non-threatening liberal values like transparency to force the ideological actors to undergo public scrutiny. So what they basically want is to, you know, have to, you know, show people what's in the curriculum, maybe, you know, on the internet, post the list of books and things like that. And what he's figuring is he can bait the left into saying, no, you know, parents do not have a right. My point is, and I think it's related to your point, my point to uh, rational folks is don't take the bait. This is a stone cold winner for these guys because transparency is not a bad thing. It is not the hill you want to die on. The correct strategy is to say, absolutely, Christopher, we want to be as transparent as possible. And now let's talk about your benighted book banning agenda here. You want to take books you know, out of libraries. You don't want kids to read about Ruby Bridges. You don't want people to hear words like you want to ban words like equity and multiculturalism. Again, flip the script. Choose what you want to fight about. But it's interesting watching how he's figured how we can bait people into it. I'm going to be for transparency. And so the ACLU and all of these Democratic legislators around the country are going, transparency is a terrible thing. Yeah. Remember how, okay, no, 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 no. Just because he says it doesn't mean you need to take that position. You know, there is such a thing as a tactical retreat once in a yeah. while. I, I agree um, with the article with one, I have one slight caveat to your take, which I which I genuinely, generally agreed with, which was, I, I do think they can go a little bit on offense on the cameras in the classroom like hmm. i think that that was a big well, I mean, error i mentioned yeah, that. yeah you mentioned it right so i i do think that that is that is where you fight the battle right like not oh, yeah. on the trans not on the curriculum transparency but say this is where these guys are going like yeah. like they want you know your kids. anti-woke gestapo 
monitoring, you know, the teacher in the school, your kid all day in class. Do you really want that? Like, is this where you want to go? Like cameras to the Trump people monitoring the cameras? Yeah, but there's the gloss is, you know, the, people might go, yeah, I think we should monitor the teacher, but say, okay, do you understand that your child will also be on camera? Your child will be filmed. And are you have any concerns about how that might be bad for your child to be doing that? That's a complete non-starter. And you're totally right about it. Okay, so can I we just, move just really quick, I have one point yeah. to tree yeah. comment. This bigger picture yeah. and I, let's put the politics yeah. aside. I agree with you on the politics. Yeah. Ah, boy, I'm just, I'm, as a parent, I am nervous about just the politicization. I know schools have always been politicized, right? But like just on steroids that's coming down the pike right now. And like, who are the parents who are going to be fighting these fights? Like, it is, it is the old line about uh, the worst have all the passionate intensity. Like, it's oh, going to yeah. be the worst people that, you know, well, are and the dumbest are, and the dumbest that are going to be involved in all of these curriculum fights and, and turning schools fourth grade history, which like shouldn't be that controversial. You might not love everything that your fourth grade, you know, social studies teacher teaches the the kid, but you know, I, I I'm deeply concerned that, you know, our Twitter life is going to become the school life. And that it's just bad. It's like it's just not it's not healthy for society. I don't know how to roll it back at this point, but I, I do think that's a fair thing for people to be concerned about. I think good faith people, regardless of their ideology. I think so. The only glimmer of hope that I would offer is that people, there is a, a deep um, instinct for people to protect their own children. Yeah. And, and, you know, whereas on Twitter, it's like burn everything down. Nobody's, uh, you know, nobody's sensibilities matter that much. I, I think when you, when you get children in, uh, you've, you've raised the, you've raised the ante. Okay. So speaking of culture wars, this was a big week for Marjorie Taylor Greene with the gazpacho soup, you know, the, the gazpacho police. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I don't know whether Republicans for accountability and our good friend Barry Rubin, you know, found that video and put it out. I think that may have been like his biggest ever because it was so hilarious. The gazpacho police. You want to talk about, you know, our lives and our culture and our politics <laughs> being governed by the worst among us, but also just the profoundly stupid among us. And look, and Tim, you know, this is not going to hurt her among her constituency, right? No, I was, it's funny. You say so you put out a clip of the, the Robert Draper podcast for anyone who didn't listen mm -hmm. to it. I love Robert Draper. Mm -hmm. He is such a good writer. His story of Mike Flynn was amazing. Your podcast was really outstanding. Uh, but you put out one clip from it that I, I, just, I have to be honest, I, I instinctively was like, is this, is, is, is Draper going a little overboard on this? And it was the yeah. clip where he says that MTG is like the future of the party. I don't remember the exact quote, but that was, that was yeah. the uh, essence of it. And I was like, that is that a little overstated? And and then and as I was kind of roommating on that, I was like, maybe it's not. I don't know. I I, it's, I was interested in his point of view, and, and Draper's been covering this this as closely as anybody. And then within 24 hours, literally, the Daily Beast has an article out today that says the best fun online fundraiser <laughs> that in the entire party besides Donald Trump right now is Marjorie Taylor Greene. Like, if you want people Ugh. to throw in five bucks to your primary candidate. The best thing you can do is get MTG to send an email out, you know, saying, I endorse, you know, Cletus Van Mictor, you know what I mean? Like for yeah. for his house, like, and that's how you're going to get the most money. And, 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 and so that like you, we cannot dismiss that. Like that is a real, you know, continued evidence that like this gazpacho soup lady is what the, the active Republican base is looking for. They want, well, the, they want the soup lady. Yeah. Well, and the other most, you know, cringeworthy video of the last 24 hours is Congressman Nancy Mace, who uh, is an She's incumbent. 
well, very Trumpy. Oh, there's a lot of competition for the worst, but I mean, there, there's a lot going on here. But I mean, very, very Trumpy Congresswoman um, who got crossways with Marjorie Taylor Greene. I mean, he's, basically, she has been a Trump loyalist. She had like five minutes where she was concerned about January 6th, but generally, she's been totally in on MAGA, totally in on Trump, but. She pissed off Marjorie Taylor Greene. They had a back and forth nasty Twitter fight. And now Trump is endorsing an opponent to Nancy May. So to your point about the influence of Marjorie Taylor Greene, Marjorie Taylor Greene wants to take down one of her fellow female Republicans. So Nancy Mace, the day after Donald Trump endorses against her, travels to New York City and tapes a video standing in front of Trump Tower, sort of this groveling, you know, when a girl loves a boy type thing. (laughs) Donald, I have loved you from the beginning. I was your loyalist. And it is the cult of self-humiliation that she has to grovel and self-humiliate herself because of all of this. But again, I will be better. I will be better. Just just put on the hair shirt. All right, so I have a clip from Marjorie Taylor Greene, and the reason I want to play it is because for people who were longtime listeners, we've called a lot of these shots, including January 6th was, uh, you know, put that on your calendar. That was number one. Number two, that Donald Trump was never going to concede, that, that it was always going to be a lie. And I have for the last year been saying, do not sleep on this whole national divorce thing, that this is trending toward this whole idea of secession, and I know you roll your eyes, but secession is going to be one of the next big things of the MAGAverse. I want you to listen to Marjorie Taylor Greene from yesterday. I think it's naive to believe that the United States is always going to exist in these perfect 50 states, you know, under the federal government that keeps expanding and expanding and expanding. And I think it's irrational for people to think that Americans are just going to sit idly by while our federal government completely becomes tyrannical and out of control like we've watched it do over the past year. And um, no one wants violence. And I'll say again, I'm completely against the Civil War, even though the media tries to say I say things mm, like that. I never do. But I do truly believe that if this becomes such a broken nation and we have one party that is trying to rule over, like the Democrats are trying to rule over Republicans to the point where they are deciding what opinion we are allowed to say, whether we can stay on social media or we have to leave because we're spreading what they claim is misinformation. If they get to a point where they're saying we're going to control what you're allowed to do with your body and, and what you have to have injected what? into your body and you have no no choice or say, what they're coming to the point where they're saying this is what your children have to be taught and parents, you have no input or say and, you're, and your children essentially belong to the state. No, when it gets to that point, it, you can't you can't just accept or think that Americans are going to accept it. That is huh? when it's okay to start saying, you know what? Just like in a marriage, I don't like the way you're treating me. Stop this behavior. You have to change. We all have to live here together. We should care about our country together. And if you're not, then we need to consider maybe we need to separate. And what does that look like? Whoa. Okay. It took a long time to get there, but we're talking divorce, so. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm against violence and I'm against civil war, but... But, that's big, but... The tyranny, yeah. the tyranny thing's interesting. Imagine how much tyranny the Democrats would be uh, oppressing Marjorie Taylor Greene with if they could actually, like, pass a bill. 
mean, it's like the Democrats aren't even doing anything. Uh, it, it is. It's amazing how little has to happen to to like trigger the, the, these grievances in these people. I mean, I, she's she's seriously considering, you know, a the, the desire to have some kind of national divorce that would obviously be violent over what? Like over what? Over what? Like there's over nothing. Like not, there isn't. It's Joe Biden. Like he hasn't. This is. I'm going to sound like JVL, but he hasn't expanded the Supreme Court. He hasn't instituted socialism. Like, like they can't even get the damn you know vaccine mandate that was pretty narrow through, like approved. I, you know, it's so. I, I don't know. I mean, the, the so um, the, the the divorce. Maybe you know when you, you know I sit down and we have dinner with uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, we should ask her. So how does this work? So if Texas divorces itself, do people in Texas still get social security checks? I'm just, I'm just details. Just what details. happens to Austin in this divorce? Um, yeah, yeah. Can we just, can we just pick it up and like move it to California? Is there, is there a spot in the desert like next to Fresno? Can we trade Austin and Fresno? Everybody just packs up and and moves. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be, uh, you know, it's kind of the homestead act t- type of thing. I do. Do they get a warning? The, the country would kind of look like one of those, you know, impressionist paintings at a certain point. It wouldn't be just like state mm-hmm. by state. It would be, it would be like the ultimate gerrymander. You'd have. Austin in California. Okay, that's so interesting. I, but the one thing that I think is worth as you as as ridiculous as to like, what is the serious version of this? Is, is kind of a question I think worth mulling over. And, yeah. and I, I've seen a couple of academics who who point to Ireland, right, and like and the troubles in Ireland, and where where it's really it ends up being less. You know, it, it's not doesn't it isn't a civil war like our civil war in the eighteen hundreds, but it's more you know these little kind of mini uprisings um, within, within you know, communities within, and that it's like within states, right? Like it's the type of thing where like, you know, you can imagine a Democrat winning in Texas at some point and like having, uh, you know, a posse within Texas, like, have, you know, um, trying to, uh, you know, have, con- have conflict with, with Austin. I mean, that's like the, sc- I think the scary version of this. I, I don't think Marjorie Taylor Greene is going to be the general in, in one of those battles, but, um, but, but the mindset is, is, Let's just say it is, it's a little concerningly widespread. It is. And, and I kind of wonder at some point whether this could become, an, in some sense, a bipartisan, which is, you want to go? Fine, we'd rather be without you. <laughs> could you just go? Do not let the door hit you on the way out. Okay, so um, can we just talk a little bit about Margaret Noonan's column in the Wall Street Journal? I'd love to. I love Peggy. You know, me and Peggy, <sighs> I was just sitting in a tree. You know, she's she's had her moments. Let's, I mean, let's be, you know, she's had some great moments. But there's a certain moment where there's kind of a, how out of touch am I? You know, it's like, can we all get along? So here's the column. And okay, I, I, I'm just, I'm going to read the first four paragraphs, all right? So, can you do it in her voice? Could you read it in her voice? No, like I, can, her? I, can, I cannot do the voice. And I'm not going to try to do the voice. You have to use this, your, use your imagination. So she didn't really write a column for the Wall Street Journal. She just sort of redid a speech that she gave. And the, the Reagan Foundation inaugurated the series of speeches about the future of the Republican Party. It's called A Time for Choosing, which, of course, was Ronald Reagan's famous speech. Which I think she so wrote. She's she invited. wrote that, I think, right? Didn't she? Uh, I had to think it was before her time, no. Oh, yeah. That was like 60. We'll, we'll have to get fact-checked on that. A Time for Choosing, I think, it was his 64 speech. So. But okay. So she's there on Monday night, and she speaks at the Reagan Library, and she's adapted the column from the remarks. And, and she starts off by very, you know, Noonan-esque, 38,000-feet view 
America is in a crucial high stakes moment. Really, tell us more. Since uh, 2020, we've been roiled over the pandemic, wokeness, crime, inflation, the schools, illegal immigration, other couple other things there. Uh, the Democratic Party has stood for or failed to oppose many unpopular policies. The Republican Party seems poised to rise. Okay, so that paragraph suggests she has been paying attention to current events, all right? Then the next paragraph is, so what is the job of the Republican Party at this time? And keep in mind, this is a speech delivered in February of 2022. So what is the job of the Republican Party at this time? Margaret Noonan then says, it is to be sane. It is to stand against excess. It is to put itself forward as worthy of leadership. It has to be centrist in its mood and attitudes and in its internal understanding of itself. 32 years ago, in my book, What I Saw at the Revolution, I addressed the party and said, this is the future, you're a working class party, I still believe this, but would no longer cast the argument in the language of class. It is too limited, it has an aggressive undertone. The Republican Party should see itself too as the party of parents, who in the face of bullying and indifference, blah, 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 goes on. So, all right, later she talks about how it can't be a cult, so there's kind of a, a hand wave over to the side to you know some of this, but did Margaret Noonan just wake up from a six-year-long coma and look around and say, hmm, this Republican Party. 12-year-long. Here I have these remarks, which I'm going to dust off from 1993 <laughs> and read them. And we're going to pretend that, you know, it's not, the house is not fucking burning down around. She just like tosses her hair and goes, Yes, our job here is to be sane and centrist, and our mood must be honestly. I, you know, Margaret, it's. Oh, Personally, I feel embarrassed. I, You're uh, on, this, on the 64 gold. The fact that it was a 64 Goldwater speech, I like. I can't believe yeah, that I gave yeah. Peggy credit for that. I'm, I'm just like smacking my my knuckles right now. Bad former Republican. Bad. How did you not know yeah. that? Um, I, I, she, it's all wish. It's been wish casting, right, for a long time now. And uh, you know, it must be nice, nice job to have a column. You can kind of brush off a speech from, from you know. I mean, it felt feels like the Obama era, right? Like uh, maybe not that long, right? But it feels like the kind of article that was that could have been written around the time of the Tea Party. That like a lot of. A lot of Noonan types did write, right? Which is, you know, the working class element of this is good, but we can't be extreme. We can't, go, you know, the, you would have targeted it at Ted Cruz maybe when he had those standoffs about the, uh, you know, about cl closing the government in the early uh, 2010s. Uh, but, you know, I mean, it's it's like it's all preposterous to write it now. This goes to the Sarah Long article from a little while ago, though, and and and, and I think it's something the Democrats need to really take to heart. This is preposterous and mockable, but kind of working. Like there is, there is a category of Republican who is, you know, who is reading that in the journal every morning and they're going, yeah, this sounds right. Like the party can do this, right? Because they're not, you know, they're not paying attention to the goings on to, to Peter Navarro's ravings on, on MSNBC and on St Steve Bannon's podcast I, I, about overturning I, I, the election. Right. So they're listening to that and they're like, this kind of makes sense. The party should do this, right? Like they don't understand that Marjorie Taylor green is the number one fundraiser, right. It's in the party and that's how far it's gone. And, and, and somehow there needs to be a, a 
outreach, a, a, a way to communicate to those people outside of the, the lefty bubble that lands. And like, I think that's a tough nut to crack right now because I, the I, fact I, that I Peggy so. can get away with that and not be mocked shows that like the Wall Street Journal audience is, is being willfully blind to reality. Well, I mean, I, in fairness, um, she does get, you know, around a little bit later to saying, you know, the Trump is a problem, you know, the cult and everything. But the the interesting thing is that there's actually one paragraph that's in parentheses. You can tell was sort of added at the end after she was done. She's, I should add here that the January 6th committee carries a gift to the Republican Party. It can fully formally resolve what was done in the Capitol that day. And then she says that McConnell was right. But it's all in parentheses, like, okay, parenthetically, while I'm telling you, you need to stand against success and everything, I'm going to like throw this in so I don't look completely disconnected with reality. I mean, and again, she does say that it's time to move on from Donald Trump. But there is that Wow, I don't know. It's just, okay, so we beat up on Margaret uh, Noonan. All right, so what else is on your mind here? Where else are we going here? What are we doing here? Oh, man, I don't know. I, 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 you started with Burrow, and I'm ending with Burrow. It's hard for me to have my mind anywhere else. I feel like we've covered a lot of ground. Oh, Aaron Rodgers, fourth MVP. I'm concerned about this. So I'm concerned yeah. about Aaron <laughs> Rodgers going to Denver, and and I'm, I, I, I maintain my concern, and... You know, I, there is this obviously the controversy going around with Flores and the black coach, and, and the NFL could really use a black owner. And I'm just, I'm hoping just for karmic balance that that maybe the Broncos, because we're looking for an owner. Um, that you know, I'm a pretend Bengals person. I'm an actually a Broncos yeah. fan. That hopefully, you know, I I feel like it could help me justify because I'm already in my brain going, I can get there on Aaron Rodgers. Can't I? Can I? Can I convince myself? Um, and I don't know if I can, but it would really help, you know, if 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 uh, if maybe the the ownership search, you know, solved one of the big, I think a a, yeah. a, a very serious problem within the NFL at this point. Well, I um, I'm over Aaron Rodgers. I I actually so you're happy to pass him off to me. Well, no, um, he deserved the MVP. It would have been a travesty. I think had he not gotten it, despite all the crazy stuff. But of course, I've written what the fuck is wrong with Aaron Rodgers, and I wish he would shut up. And he just had there's something going on with him. And I, I, I am, I am more and more struck by this. I, I don't know what it is. I, you know, how many people's brains have been broken in the last few years? And I, I don't know whether it's because of the pandemic or because of social media or because of what. But it is, it is amazing. And you, you know, you're you're writing a book about this as well. I mean the. What's happening to people psychologically? And so I, I guess I am making a distinction between Aaron Rodgers, the football player, and Aaron Rodgers, whose brain has been broken by these issues. So. Well, Charlie, this is going to go in the compartmentalization chapter in my book. <laughs> Thank you. Thank Good. you for giving me a prime example. I'll just I'll throw you in there. Um, okay, the Aaron Rodgers compartmentalization corollary. I think so. Tim Miller, you have a great weekend. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Thanks, brother. See ya. And thank you all for listening to this weekend's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back on Monday, and we'll do this all over again.